What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Rico's Watches podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined today by a fellow podcaster and friend, uh, Everett Meadows, who is the uh, founder and owner and CEO and sole proprietor, I guess, and all of the above of a Foster's uh, Foster Watch Company, which is a new and upcoming micro brand that I think is doing some really interesting stuff. So I'm really excited to chat uh, with you today about all that today, Everett. Eric, that's the first time I think I've ever been introduced on someone else's podcast. Hey, well, you know, it, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting experience, and you did it for me. So I thought now is now is a good opportunity to return the favor. But it definitely feels weird on the other side of the mic, doesn't it? It it does feel weird. Yeah, I mean, I'm still on the same side of the mic, but it is a little bit of a different experience here. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Hi, thanks, thanks for having me. Really nice to be here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. For those of you that. Uh, maybe aren't familiar with Everett. He's one of the hosts of the 40 and 20 uh, watch podcast, which is a rather uh, prolific uh, watch podcast, been around for several years in the watch community. We're not really here to discuss 40 and 20 today though, but uh, for frame of reference, that's where you could find more uh, awesome Everett content, if that is something that you're interested in. And we'll definitely uh, plug that in the description box down below at the end of the podcast as well too. But before we get into what we're here to talk about and all those juicy details, what do you have on the wrist today? Uh, I've got my newest watch on. This is the uh, Hamilton Coupe, uh, which is their khaki uh, khaki Pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hamilton Khaki Pilot, I guess, is what their aviation. It's a kind of a big watch. It's mm. a 42 millimeter watch, and it's all dial. It, it's not the biggest watch I own, but I think in terms of the way it feels and the wrist presence, it, it might be because it's all dial. It's huge. I picked this up a couple of weeks ago. I got it for a song. I saw it on Reddit. And so I just, uh, I took a flyer and man, I've been wearing the heck out of it. Hamilton does. I've had a Hamilton khaki mechanical for a long time mm-hmm. and I wear the shit out of that watch. I love it. Uh, but this is my first, like sort of my first foray into Hamilton's next tier of watches. I think these retail for like a thousand ish, 900 ish, maybe. And I'm kind of blown away. The finishing, the fit, uh, everything is just really next level. It's, it's a gorgeous watch. It is big, which is awkward. Uh, there's been a couple of times where I've like seen it in the mirror. Oh my gosh. Look at this gangster. Uh, but (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's it. so. That's my nose watch. That's what I got on the wrist. What about you, Eric? Uh, I'm wearing my uh, 42 millimeter kind of constant partner on the show, who I oddly enough haven't worn for a while. But my uh, Tudor Pelagos, that's yeah. my that's my go to. That's my usual. But uh, I've been very spoiled this month with uh, a couple of uh, really cool brands, the Zodiac and Arkin, that provided me with some timepieces. So I've been wearing those a lot. And I, I went back and I realized. Um, you know, I, I go back to the watch box and you kind of see when the date wheel last rolled over and you kind of do the math and you're like, the last time I wore this would have been on the 6th. So, I mean, here we are on the 29th and, you know, almost three weeks later and the poor Pelago hasn't been getting any wrist time. So now she's back on the wrist for the next little bit. Yeah, it's such a great watch. Uh, the the titan- you know, it's a, it's a big watch, but being titanium, it just feels like so wearable. Yeah, it, it really is wearable. I mean, it, it, is a, it is a larger piece, and especially after wearing like the 39 millimeter Zodiac for a lot of the month and even the 40 millimeter Arkin, it, it, 
it definitely i put it on and i was like wow this is this feels like a dinner plate <laughs> on my wrist for a second there but i mean it less than 24 hours later i'm already it already feels right back at home and it's it's a big watch i mean but it, it you're right the titanium makes a huge difference Tudor did a couple little tricks with the case as well too that i think have made it a little bit more um wearable than people think like the actual case itself is actually only 40 millimeters but yeah. the the overhang from the bezel gives it that larger profile visually uh making it 42 but it's uh and thankfully it's not all dial like the hamilton is but uh so it's a, looks a little bit more compact on the wrist too but i mean with the hamilton as well was it a white dial or was that a silver dial that i saw on yeah there? yeah i don't know if you're gonna be able to catch it it's silver um it it it, it actually reads pretty white in photographs but mm -hmm. there's like a sunburst most of the time these are black mm -hmm. um and so when i saw this i actually thought it was white uh, and and then i got it oh it's actually a silver doll i i really like it it's a really light it's a really subtle silver um yeah silver yeah it's a cool piece and and obviously like the larger kind of like flieger kind of profile as well too it's obviously sort of, sort of the sizing that you see going on there but yeah. the um Hamilton makes some fantastic pieces, particularly at their price point. Like they're really a, a heavy hitter, and and you know, right kind of at that next tier that you're discussing, like that thousand dollar range on their pieces, they're bringing a ton of value. And I guess it's part of the benefit they get of being kind of part of the Swatch Group. They're able to kind of you know have technology kind of trickle down to some of the lower tier brands and in, in kind of the structure of the Swatch Group. And and yeah, we definitely see a lot of value come out of Hamilton and. I've been wanting to get one of them, uh, someone from Hamilton on the show for a while, but uh, haven't really gotten around to it. So if anyone at Hamilton's listening, shoot me a DM and uh, we'll we'll set something up. But uh, enough talk if about... You that, if you make that contact, you'll have to send it over to me. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, I was going to say one more thing about the swaps before I move on. I hope that's okay. Sure. Uh, after Interstellar, the Matthew McConaughey movie came out. So this is the Hamilton coupe, mm -hmm. so nicknamed because of the movie. But it was it was out for quite a while before that movie. Um, after the movie came out, they sort of upgraded this as well as released the Murph watch. And when they did that, they put, I think, an H10 movement in this. Mm -hmm. So this this one has the 2834 in it. Uh, it's an old, this is older. I'm not sure you can still get the silver dial. But that H10 movement is, is an 80-hour power reserve movement. And it's like you said, right? Hamilton's got access to a lot of really cool tech by way of, by way of, Edda and and everything else you know that 80 hour power reserve movement is is nuts to have that type of technology that you can pick up in a thousand dollar watch it's crazy so i i paid way less than than the whatever 900 bucks that you can pick these up for but i haven't worn it i would i would without a without a shadow of a doubt pay 900 bucks for this all day it's it's fantastic so the H10 and then like the Powermatic, which I think is another name for it, if in mm -hmm. Tissot, I believe. Um, t do you know a lot of kind of about that piece? Because I heard kind of like conflicting information about it when it first came out. Because I think the H the H10 or the Powermatic 80 has been around now for probably like at least five years or so. Um, the like the original, what I heard was essentially like they were like kind of factory pressed together throwaway movements that whenever you put it in for service, they would just drop in a new movement. And now I've heard that they're like actually a really well-made, um, like easy to service kind of movement that's able to kind of, you know, have some longevity as well. So, uh, I mean, it's interesting to see a movement of that kind of caliber show up in the lower tier pieces like Tissot and Hamilton um and it actually be like a really well-made well put together movement but you don't see it in a lot of other brands kind of popping up so is it 
sort of exclusive to those brands or is it like a third party movement that's available to other people if they want to get it or what's the deal with that? You, you know, I don't know the legacy of, you know, how the H10 came to be. Uh, and, and there may be a story behind this, you know, well, we, we had these old movements and we kind of mm -hmm. were changing things and, but it's a, it is a full production movement now. And, and it's not, uh, it, it's not lesser. I think that maybe one of the reasons some people say that is because the, 2824, 2834s are a high or they're a 28 or a 4 hertz movement. And what they've done with the H10 is they've reduced the frequency of the beats. Okay. So instead of 4 hertz, it's 3 hertz. Uh, what that does is it a, gives you a much longer power reserve. So instead of the 45 or whatever you get with the 4 hertz, you know, they can extend that into 80 hours. But it also, by way of vibrating less frequently, the beat's more stable. Mm -hmm. uh, theoretically, you go longer without, uh, you know, your service interval is extended. The day-to-day the -day sort of vibrations on the movement are going to be less 75% of what they would otherwise be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's a number of other sort of more physics, more engineering based sort of increases to the life. But I think you're going to see longer service intervals, longer life, more longevity, a slightly more stable movement. Yeah, I don't think that there's any sort of downgrading happening. I think people sometimes some people are turned off by the lower beat rate. Because mm -hmm. you can, you know, it's a little, it's a little twitchier. Uh, but it's it's done purposefully yeah yeah i think a lot of people are also you know it's we're one of those spaces where people can be a little bit uh resistive to change uh, to some of their beloved brands right i mean we're talking about you know 100 200 300 year old brands and things like that right they're not the swiss watch industry isn't exactly known for for moving quickly so it's uh, whenever something does happen people get a little excited so that's really cool but enough about hamilton enough about tudor enough about all that stuff. We're here to talk about Foster Watch Company. So, Foster uh, Watch Company. I love it. I'm excited. I saw some of the pictures of what we have coming of your of your first model here. Tell us about, I guess, yourself, uh, where your journey began uh, with watches, and sort of why watches matter to you, and how that led you into starting your own watch company. Yeah. Well, so my name's Everett. Uh, I have been I've been into watches since uh, well. You, you know, every every sort of young person I know grows up and they're into something mm -hmm. um, casually, right? Uh, I was never into watches the way we're into watches, but mm -hmm. I always wore a watch. You know, I can remember I had a mechanical, a plastic, probably Chinese manufacturer mechanical Lady in the Tramp watch when I couldn't have been older than like 10. And I overwound it and sprung it. Uh, and it was broken. It was kind of devastating for me uh, at the time because I just realized that, you know, I had this kind of cool thing and by being Lenny or whatever, uh, broke it. Um, and then my, my dad got me, a, probably wisely, got me a quartz watch after that. Uh, but I just, you know, I ha always had a watch, right? That's the point. Not, not that any of these watches were special or, or, or anything, but I always had a watch. And then once I started working, so maybe like 15, 16 years old, um, decided I've got enough income that I can go buy nice, quote unquote, nice watches. And so I'd go to, in, in the Northwest, we had a Myron Frank, um, which was later bought by Macy's and it's the same thing, right? 
uh, same thing. But I'd go to Myron Frank with my girlfriend, my high school girlfriend at the time, and buy Fossil watches. Fossil was a, the cool brand in the 90s. And, uh, you know, I had a number of probably like three or four plated brass Fossil watches. Uh, and that was my nice watch. And I'd wear it until it wasn't a nice watch anymore. And then I'd go buy another one. And so always, always had a watch. I was always aware that watches were cool and, and that I should probably wear one, even if I didn't really need one. You know, by this, by this time I was wearing a pager. I didn't need a watch and then later cell phone, but I always had a watch. Um, and, and then that sort of developed. I remember I was working in a bar in the early 2000s uh, and this gal who had been cocktailing there forever had this Seiko Kinetic uh, and I can't remember which what the name but they had this great like sort of orange yellow cascading indicator of some sort on the side and it's just like super you know late 90s early 2000s Japanese sort of Ridley Scott type uh, watch. And I was like, that's, that's fucking cool. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't really know why it's cool. And she kind of explained it to me. It's like the kinetic power generation. And I was like, this is cool. And I never got one because they were, that was too expensive. I mean, it was like, I think like 500 or 600 bucks. And I was like, nobody spends that much money on a watch. Like I'm just never, I'm never going to spend that much money on a watch, but that's cool someday someday i might get something like that you know uh and and so there you go right my my very first watch was a seiko is an skx and i say my first watch not my first watch at all but my first like sort of meaningful watch was an skx and then picked up a couple of other watches along the way and then one day i was like i'm an expert man and i called my friend andrew and i was like we should start <laughs> we should start a watch podcast uh, and I'm joking a little bit about being experts, but I think what we saw at the time, so this is like 2014, 2015, maybe. And uh, there was just a dearth of affordable watch content out there. I realized pretty early on in my watch collecting journey that I'm never going to be the guy who casually buys a watch like a Rolex or, and nobody is now, but at, at that time, you know, people would casually buy the watches that you might read about on Hodinkee, like JLC is releasing a new watch this week. Like, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to buy that or not. You know, that's just not, never going to be me. E even, even now, never going to be me. So really lamented the dearth of affordable watch content. Shortly thereafter, uh, a podcast started by a couple of guys, um, one of them in Florida, one of them in Seattle. It's called Two Broke Watch Snobs. And it's obviously a super famous podcast. Uh, and I refer to those guys as the OGs. But they came out with Two Broke Watch Snobs right around that same time that Andrew and I started talking. I was like, this is great. Um, I thought, you know, I can do this. I can do this. I can do it probably differently than these guys. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll do it differently than these guys for any number of reasons. And... Um, called up Andrew and I was like, I, I need your help, man. Andrew is my friend from the army ROTC, uh, hundred years ago. Feels like at this point, uh, you know, I mean, really, we were both kids, just little kids. Uh, and he was, he was here and it's like, can you, do you, are you interested? I know 
you know, Andrew was sort of starting to get into watches as well. And I was like, let's just, let's just do it. It took us like 18 months to get our shit together. And then I think November of 2018, we launched and been doing it ever since. Every week we released an episode since that time. Wow. That's that's fantastic, and that's that's great. And obviously, uh, you know, fourteen twenty has become a, a really well established podcast, and sort of one of those core uh, podcasts in the space. I mean, uh, you know, two broke watch knobs, uh, Scottish watches, forty and twenty, Grey NATO. Like these are all kind of the names that people are you know constantly kind of giving their attention to in the watch podcast space, and and it's fantastic what you've accomplished with them um, up to this point. I mean, I think yeah, we're talking about almost. I think we were talking before we started recording about three years now or almost four years you've been in this and that's impressive you're over 180 episodes i think you said yeah i think 187 episodes i gotta say that's uh really humbling to hear you say our name uh in in the mix of those other podcasts because we've got so much respect for all those guys and i feel like we're always aspiring to be more like the great night more like you know i've Scottish watches, I, those guys make two episodes a week. It's nuts, right? Mm-hmm. The, the people in the space work so hard. We actually, you, you know, we joined up with with a website about a year and a half into our journey. Uh, we had Will at the time, the watch clicker still mm-hmm. today, the watch clicker Will on our show. And it was like, you know, you're, we're doing totally separate things, but in the same space. And I'll tell you, I've said to Will and Will said to me in the past year, like, I don't know if I'd still be doing this if not for you, you know, just really completing the circle uh, has been great. And and we still kind of do different stuff. Andrew and I do podcasts. Will really manages the website. We've got a number of great writers um, who have come and gone from the website. But, uh, you, you know, we really do sort of separate things, but also we do everything together. And it, it's it's great. I, I think um, it's great to be a part of the community. It's great to have an opportunity to talk to people like yourself. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the background. That's terrific. And so, what I guess about those experiences, or how did those experiences kind of translate into you wanting to start your own watch company? Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> I think it's probably a pretty natural thing uh, to be into watches and to think. You know, if I could just do this one thing, mm-hmm. if I just if I could just have this one type of watch or, you know, I, every, I, I love the, all the watches out there, but I wish someone would just do this thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you said something in the intro and I, I should have corrected it earlier, but I'll correct it now in any event. I'm not the sole owner of Foster. So okay. I, I own Foster with a fella here in Eugene named Christian Anderson one of my best friends in the world and uh my my partner in this in this journey christian and i were golfing so i want to say that it was summer of 2020 christian and i were golfing we still golf pretty regularly together now and we had played we had played nine holes so kind of a shorter half around is what you call that and right afterwards he was like i don't want to go off anymore i want to go drink beers and i was like yeah i don't want to go off anymore. i want to go drink beers so we're we're just talking we're talking about watches we're kind of having the same conversation that you and i are having right now and uh christian a guy who owns watches but not he's not a watch guy right he he, he is a person who appreciates watches but at the time not not a watch guy 
And he's like, picking my brain, being a little like pushy about his questions, you know, like judgy almost. Like, I don't get it. I don't get why you would have 30 watches. You can wear, you know, one or two, maybe. Why would you have 30? And he's really like, <laughs> kind of pissing me off a little bit, frankly. Uh, you, you know, with some of his questions, like, cause mm -hmm. it feels like I'm on, I'm on the defense. And finally he starts asking me, well, you, you know, if you could ever make a watch, do you know what you'd make? And I was like, yeah, I know exactly the watch I would make exactly the watch I made. And he kind of does one of these and I'm like, well, tell me. And so I, I go on to describe, uh, I go on to describe a skin diver watch and at that time, I had been recording the podcast for, you know, a couple of years almost at that point and had had conversations with folks, notably had a conversation with uh, the guys at Notice, Wes and Colin, who are the owners of Notice about, you know, why are there no good skin divers on the market? You, mm -hmm. you know, it, this is several years ago at this point. And now I think there are a number of really pretty cool interesting like what i'd call a skin diver on the market mm -hmm. but at that time there was just nothing you, you know war Woolbrook wasn't really around there was that company aquastar who i think is a really killer watch but they're kind of expensive mm -hmm. for what they are you know it's sort of not what i think of when i think of a skin diver so i described a 38 millimeter classic square lug skin diver to him and then he's got questions and then he starts questioning me about wh why anybody would want that <laughs> i don't know man because it's fucking cool like wait get it get away and he's you know like why, why are you up in my ass about this this is a fantasy watch that i'm never gonna make anyway mm -hmm. and uh we were in the parking lot we were loading up like probably a little like like rummy from the golf and the sun and you know now had a couple beers he's like let's do it. And I was like, what do you mean? Let's do it. He's like, well, how much would it cost? How much would it cost to do this? Thing? Mm, you, you know, I, I've talked to enough micro brand owners to have a pretty good idea at that point. So I kind of lay out a budget, I'm like, you know, prototyping and drawings are going to cost this much money and uh, production is going to cost this much money. And, um, I would never do a Kickstarter because mm. you know, that's it, it, it's, enabled a lot of companies to do a lot of really cool things, but I think it's really dangerous to do it. And I think it's, you know, maybe hard on your customers. And so this is how much cash we need to have. And I, I gave him a number. He's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'll fund it. You do all the, you do all the technical and the, and the design work on the front end and, and we'll do it. So we pretty quickly started iterating you know i made some pen and pencil drawings uh which are remarkably similar to what we have now in in this watch in these prototype watches um and we kicked them out for 2d drawings which we've never done this before so i called some industry contacts that i knew and said hey could you help me draw this oh like, yeah we could draw it and we started shopping uh oems and you know, interviewed a few OEMs and picked an OEM and then later changed to a different OEM because we were getting the kind of pushback that I didn't want to have. Found a great OEM, probably the best OEM in the business to help us with factory. You know, these are being made in China. And so it's great to have a good manufacturing partner. And 
uh yeah that, it's just like such a, a a crazy experience it's been happening now we're two years in it almost feels like and to finally have watches being made today it's crazy that to have gotten here oh it's it's amazing to see what can happen just from you know, a conversation and two golf buddies chatting and, and having some fun out of an afternoon right like it's it's awesome to kind of hear like how it just you know just sort of happened and unfolded that way that that's really really cool so talk to us a little bit about the, the watch you designed then what's what's it called uh describe it to us some of the specs and the build and why you made the decisions that you made uh with the with the design let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts yeah so so it, it all sort of goes back to that conversation that i had with christian just some some notable differences between the watch that i described that day and what i've got sitting in front of me sure. um aesthetically and in terms of the way the watch wears on the wrist my my image at that time has come through here but there's some changes really what i described to christian that day was an incredibly affordable uh let's say late 60s early 70s manufacturing standard super lightweight affordable got to be affordable um kind of no bs not technical not hypey wearable vacation watch is what i described to them it mm -hmm. should be light the bracelet should be jangly it's gonna have hollow end links it's gonna have a stamped clasp it's going to be cheap, dirt cheap, but it's going to have all the things that watch people want. You know, the first thing I figured out about this watch is that to make a watch with a folded bracelet and hollow end links and a stamped clasp, um, it's, it costs almost exactly as much as to make a watch with solid end links and a machine class you, you know we're we're not talking about the same exact amount but we're talking about pretty similar amounts and um you, you know it, it's one of the first things that people gave me pushback on including christian including my business partner he's like why would we make this shitty watch why wouldn't we make a fantastic watch that felt like the watch that you have in your head mm -hmm. and you, you know it was the first thing it, it's the first thing i sort of compromised on right because you have this image and it was the first time i realized like okay um business decisions are are going to challenge me sometimes and i'm going to have to figure out how to how to hold that line on in terms of getting what i want and, and but also understanding what what battles to to you know pick your battles as they say what's actually important here is is a it's a hollow end link something that it makes any sense to fight for and and that might that answer might change depending on who we were I, I made the decision to go away from it but what we have is a watch that feels very much like that i've described this a few times as a department store uh as a De montgomery wards or sears a mm -hmm. watch you could buy at the department store in the 70s before your vacation that's what this is supposed to feel like um it's supposed to be beautiful it's supposed to be incredibly well made but something that you can buy without freaking out about it maybe without even asking your your significant other um 
that's not like hyper technical 110 meters of water resistance anybody who's listened to our podcast will know that there's an inside joke there a little bit but um andrew and i on the podcast have a objective watch rating uh where we where we judge watches based on how objectively good they are and we you can only get 11 points for water resistance so you get 10 points for every 10 meters of water resistance up to 100 and then anything over that's just gravy you can get one extra point so 200 300 1200 it doesn't matter you get 11 points so this is 110 meters of water resistance everything you need nothing extra a little bit of an inside joke there but i actually just think it's a beautiful number uh 110 because 100 everybody kind of knows 100 everybody's familiar with 150 it's 100 plus right so it's gonna be safe for anything you do and a little extra that gives you that little extra kind of unique flavor unique spice to the brand as well too doing something a little bit different right and you're right anything more than 100 meters like you're you're covered for anything that anyone would be doing in that watch but i think that you brought a couple of really interesting points with regards to the design and sort of the uh, intention behind the piece. And I think that what you're creating, one thing you said was really interesting is that it's a watch for nerds like us, right? Like it's, this isn't meant to be the watch that has the massive appeal to all the kind of like people dipping their toes in the watch space and kind of want to, um, you know, just have that really nice well put together overbuilt solid micro brand watch and i'm not saying your watch isn't well built at all from what it sounds like it's very well built but it's sort of like the watch for the guys who get it and and that kind of goes back to um you know you brought up when you were first kind of getting into watches you had your skx right and when you're talking about like that you know well built comfortable size affordable watch you could just get up get and go from the department store <clears throat> with the jangly bracelet and the, the stamped clasp i was like that's the first watch that came to mind was that skx and there's a reason why it's still so popular with people uh, now regardless if they're you know there's, there's people that have uh, a collection of all rolexes still have an skx in the collection as well too and there's a reason for it and i think that's kind of exactly what you're hitting but one thing that i noticed that was particularly interesting um about your design is there's you really worked in a lot of those little things as well too. Like I noticed uh, just from you holding it up on the screen here for me to see uh, drilled lugs, for example. Yeah. Right. I mean, just those sorts of little, those little thoughts that are like, these are the things that people want to see in these kind of skin diver watches. It looks like a nice and thin watch as well too. But one thing that was very interesting, I noticed is the use of color on the dials. Let's talk a little bit about that and sort of why that was important to you. Yeah, so uh, we we have tried, we have prototyped a, a bunch of different dials. Uh, originally, we were going to do a black dial and a gray dial. So you can see the, the development process, you know, I'm sort of a, an open book here in terms of the development process. Um, I, I really like, I, I like a black dial watch. And mm -hmm. in fact, I brought some of my favorite watches out here today. Uh, this Hamilton, my new Hamilton with the silver dial, I think is one of the only watches I have in regular rotation that's not a black dial watch. So mm -hmm. my, my very favorite watch, black dial Speedmaster. Uh, my, my second favorite watch here right now, at least, is my Monta Triumph black dial. Not the gray dial, not the silver dial, the black dial. Mm -hmm. um, SKX black dial. I never even considered an 009, right? It's no, no, no black dial. 
Uh, all my favorite watches are, it, it, since I've been collecting black dial watches, and so I thought, well, the, the Foster, the, the it, also I should add, the 11 Atmos is the name of the watch. So it's the 11 Atmos Skin Diver. Um, it's, it's a black dial watch, right, Eric? It, it just is a black dial watch. Um, and, and so I, but, you know, people from the beginning were like, well, you need to have some other colors. Well, fine. If we need to have other colors, we'll also do a gray dial. We'll do just a handful of gray dial watches for the folks that want something different. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's when we ordered our first prototypes, that's what we ordered. We ordered a black dial, we ordered a gray dial, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And we, we got the gray dial in, and Christian and I looked at this thing, and I'm like, this isn't it. The, the color isn't right. And so Christian's like, why don't we do, why don't we order another dial, maybe mm -hmm. a few more, and just see what we like. And I said, well, why don't we just fix the gray, Christian? And he goes, oh, okay, well, let's have a meeting with our, our manufacturing partners. And so we, we we have a meeting and I say, hey, we need another, we need a different gray dial. And Christian pipes in and he says, well, could we maybe just try on some other dials? And the, the guys are like instantly, our manufacturing uh, guys are instantly like, we can make as many dials as you want. They're super cheap. We'll just send them. You can use them or not. And so before we knew it, we had like, these guys had kind of like pressured me into getting a bunch of extra dials. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't resistant at that point because it's like, well, we're just trying on these other dials, but we're not going to use these other dials. Uh, we got a uh, an orange. We got a blue. We got a green. We got another we got another gray. Um, and as soon as we got these things and plugged them into the watch, it was like uh, totally changed my mind. I was like, no, we need the, we need colors. We, we absolutely 100% need colors. So we, we actually selected three, three watches, three dial uh, variations. The black is, of course, it's still a black watch. Uh, but we went with an orange. This orange, we're calling it, I think, blood orange. Mm -hmm. um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you, you'll be able to see I'm holding this up now. It's a pretty red uh, orange. It's got a little metallic to it. And then also a green, a green dial, also slightly metallic, um, not a sunburst, but just a little bit of metal in the finish. They they read pretty matte. Um, and then you know we have options for other for other dial colors as we go. But those are the three we're going to start with. No gray because we couldn't find a gray that worked. And um, I'm really excited. I think the one I'm most excited about is is the orange dial. So it's cool. It, it's been an evolution, you know, like I just didn't expect to have these colored dials. And, you know, pretty quickly we learned as we were sort of sharing these with the people that, that we had, you know, brought into the inner circle, like you could just tell everybody was like, holy shit, that's cool. And, and, and for myself, I was like, yeah, this, this is cool. Yeah, no, that, that blood orange, uh, I think is a very good way of describing it. That's a super cool color. I, I would have almost thought it has kind of like a bit of a coral kind of color to it, but the, the blood orange I think is more accurate. Coral's a little bit more pink and it's a color that you don't see a lot. I mean, it's, it's different than the Doxa orange. It's different than the monster orange. It's, it's sort of has a little bit of that red kind of worked in there. It's super, super neat. And, you know, the more I see the watch and the more I see you kind of hold it up and, and kind of, you know, see the different angles of it, I think you create something that's, that's really, really cool. Um, Thank you for saying that. 
Well, I, I, I mean it though, honestly. It looks like a really, really cool watch. Let's talk a little bit about like the, like you talked about how you wanted this like jangly kind of bracelet. You know, again, for the people that aren't visually going to see this episode, what kind of bracelet is it? It looks like a beads of rice. Is it a Jubilee? What are we kind of working with? So it's, it, you, you mentioned earlier the SKX mm -hmm. and uh, I, I love the SKX bracelet, the stock jangly mm -hmm. SKX bracelet. I do not wear that bracelet on my SKX because I think the finish suffers uh, pretty quickly. It, it, mm -hmm. It's not a bracelet that stays looking nice. And and because that watch head is pretty heavy on the yeah. SKX, I think it, it ultimately, uh, there's a mismatch there. I pretty quickly picked up a Uncle Seiko Z199 reissue after he came out with them and put it on there and that's and it's lived on that watch ever since i don't wear that watch on nato's i don't wear that watch on any other bracelet or strap besides that uncle seiko z199 and after that i started looking at trying to pick up a, a real z199 anybody who's done that knows that they're crazy expensive mm -hmm. uh you, you know for a good condition z199 bracelet you might you might pay a thousand bucks if you're lucky i mean they're they're really really expensive and so I, at some point i decided the uncle seiko z199 was great but you'll notice there are some similarities yes. between this bracelet and a z199 now what you're looking at here and if if you go to our if you go to our instagram foster watch co or if mm. you go to our website fosterwatches.com you'll see pictures of a real watch and it has when when our factories made these, they put a faux link on the end link, which is common. I think mm -hmm. almost all watches have a faux machined link on the end link. Uh, but that was not in our original drawings. If you know what a Z199 end link looks like, you'll know it's flat. Mm -hmm. It's completely smooth on that end link, and that's that's what our production versions of this will look like too. So smooth end link um brushed you know brushed along the entire surface there's no polish it's a i'd call it a jubilee mm -hmm. so but it's a it's a five link with the skinny skinnier inner links this is all the proportions on everything are are made to my specifications here because i was really specific when we did the drawings of this um i had drawn it in pencil and so our first renders came back with different widths on on the the links and i kicked it back like five times in fact i think almost all of our original render fees were me pushing this back to make sure i got those links right i i don't know what right was and it probably we could have gone with something different and they would have been fine but same thing when the factory sent back the first technical drawings of the bracelet i said you, you guys didn't get the dimensions on the links right Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's like, what are you talking about, Everett? But I had an image. I kind of knew what it would feel like, uh, what it should look like. And I was really I was really sure about getting it the way I want. I could not be happier with this bracelet. You put it on and it's like, yep. I, you know, we, we were also going to sell these with uh, uh, just a fairly simple, I'm probably not supposed to say tropic, but what I call like a, a tropic basket weave style rubber fkm quick release thing mm. so i'll be quick release so it'll be really easy to swap out but i've got the black dial on on a rubber strap um on our rubber strap and i just don't wear it as much as the orange because i love the bracelet so much i'm a bracelet guy so uh it, it'll vary from person to person but i think the bracelet on this thing is perfect
That's it's awesome. so good. And are we doing? Are we talking um, like twenty millimeter to sixteen millimeter taper? Is it twenty two to eighteen? What are we dealing with? Twenty to sixteen. Yeah. Nice. So nice. so the case on this thing is it, so you can see it's got a slight asymmetry. Mm-hmm. Um, it it protrudes slightly more, about a millimeter more on the crown side. So sort of it's not a crown guard, but there's an asymmetry similar to Universal Genève. Um, if you've ever seen one of their pole router subs, uh, it's a similar look to that. And in fact, that was one of the inspirations. Some people have said Benrus, which I think is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Benrus inspiration there, that sort of military diver thing. It's nowhere near as pronounced. Yeah. The asymmetry is nowhere near as pronounced as Benrus. But also dimensionally, uh, dimensionally, or at least proportionally, it's the same asymmetry that you'd find on a Speedmaster. Obviously, we don't have a chronograph, so it, it feels different. But the proportion of our asymmetric case is the same exact proportion as you'd find on a Speedmaster. So what are we looking at lug to lug and diameter wise? Yeah, I, I should have those measurements up right in front of me because I'm on a podcast to talk about the watch. Uh, 48 millimeters, nice. uh, 48 millimeters on the lug to lug or just just under 48 millimeters. The case is 38 and a half millimeters with those asymmetric sides. Uh, 30, it wears 38, 39-ish. So it, it's a compact watch, but because of the feel, it is, it, it, it doesn't feel small. It doesn't feel big. It just feels like a watch. It's got that kind of rectangular, that H, that H case. It's got a bit of a rectangular feel um 38 millimeters is what the bezel is so that's the effective side but i think with the case you get a little bit more than that yeah very classic skin diver size as well too so authentic sort of to the heritage of the inspiration right which i think is is awesome and um you know i was always against i was always against like uh you know sub uh 40 millimeter dive watches for a long time i've always been like a bigger guy (laughs) and then i got i got that 39 mil um zodiac and saw how large it wore and i was like wow like i've been i've been uh you know excluding myself from a very enjoyable part of the market that i think i needed to reconsider and, and yeah i think that that's a fantastic size for what you're describing and you know i i partially like when i saw your renders i'm partially actually um i i rather favorably enjoy the the gray dial i kind of like that like battleship gray that you went with but the i think that the blood orange is gonna be that's gonna be the home run I mean, black, you know, black, black skin diver, obviously like that's, you know, it matches the bezel really well. And it's, like you said, like I'm a black, I've always been a black dial watch guy as well. Like that's pretty much my whole collection always has been probably always will be to some degree. But when you get to see that little bit of something different with the, the blood orange and the shade that you use, and I haven't really seen it anywhere else. It really, that's something, that's something really cool and really unique. And I think that's going to be an awesome watch. Talk to me about the bezel because the bezel uh i can see there's definitely a lot of very intentional design choices made with that bezel and i think it's very interesting and i want to hear more about it i'm glad yeah <laughs> so it is you, you know i i want to be really clear about what this watch is this watch is supposed to be cool it's supposed to be fun it's mm-hmm. supposed to be enjoyable to wear it is not a technical watch in any 
way, shape, or form. So we've made a lot of decisions with this watch that sort of feel like maybe a technical decision. And I wanted to spell the myths. There is there is no technical purpose for any of the things on this watch. Uh, it is I've described this. People say, well, what is, what's the, what's the main purpose of this watch? Like, mm-hmm. what would people do with this watch? So mm-hmm. besides just wearing it, right? Because that's what this watch is for. It's a watch for wearing, as as all watches are. This watch is, I would tell people this is a vacation watch, right? Okay. It, it's supposed to look nice enough to go to dinner, but also be enjoyable to wear, also be a little funky, a little cool, uh, but just fun. It's supposed to be a fun watch. So the bezel, this is a one piece. It's this, the prototype, you can see there's an insert. Mm-hmm. The, the production models will be a one piece stainless steel PVD coated bezel. Uh, it is a 12 hour bezel. As you can see, people say, well, why don't you have, uh, why don't you have a dive bezel or, or a countdown bezel? And the answer is because I wanted a 12 hour bezel. I love the ability to be able to theoretically track quote unquote track a second time zone. Um, and, and just 12 hour just feels more practical to me. You can still time minutes if you want to, if you're not an idiot, um, you, you know, and, and we've got dots in the last 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you, if you are an idiot like me. Um, it, it is a bi-directional 48 click bezel, which I don't know of any other watches. I'm not going to say we're the first to ever do a 48 click bezel, but I don't know of any other watches with a 48 click bezel. Uh, and, and I don't want to argue that there's a good reason for that because uh, there isn't besides the fact that I wanted 48 clicks. I, I wanted think, four clicks to an hour and that's it. I think Zinn had that new, uh, whatever it was, the 105 ST GMTs that they did that kind of had like that Explorer-esque, Explorer 2-esque kind of look. And I believe those are a 48-click bezel. And I remember I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, why? Why Zin? There's only 24 time zones. Why do that? But I guess it just kind of adds to the smoothness as you turn it and whatnot as well, too. And it, and it's, you know, it's just more enjoyable to click and kind of play with. It's it's it, fun. It's fun. Yeah. Those big 48, those big... Uh chunky 15 minute clicks are mm-hmm. fun and it's four clicks to an hour if you want to blind turn this an hour one way or the other you mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. um it, it doesn't really accidentally click because mm-hmm. it's so it's such a big it's such a big move mm-hmm. uh a 48th of the of the dial so you don't really get a lot of incidental turning um it's not a super tight like 2015 micro brand bezel it's it's a little bit looser Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not a technical, you know, it's not a technical turn. It's a, it's a totally untechnical turn. So if it does get bumped, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, bi-directional, so if it gets bumped, you just go back. Uh, yeah, it's just supposed to, it's just fun. It's, I think it's fun. And, and that's, and that's really cool. I think that's sort of the, um, you know, the, the recurring theme with the watches. It's, it's a fun watch. It's a watch that you can just wear to do whatever and like we say it's a skin diver in the sense that you know that's sort of the general inspiration for the shape but i mean really i mean you've got a gmt function it's got the 110 meters it's got the jangly bracelet it's a vacation watch you can you know kind of just do whatever and it's really it's a watch that you don't have to worry about right yeah. like you, you can just you can just enjoy wearing it it's something fun it's a conversation piece you know amongst other watch nerds and you know it's it's a watch that i think isn't trying to take itself too seriously which i think is 
in a way almost like a really really cool thing to be doing because it's just that in this space everyone's trying to take themselves so seriously all the time and i think that you know having fun with what we can do at a certain price point is something that is, is awesome to be um exploring and sort of i think that might be something that like you're sort of a trailblazing in now it's kind of just making something uh you know a little bit I don't want to say silly because it is still a very capable watch, but something that doesn't take itself too seriously. I guess yeah. that's sort of the best way to do it. And, you know, you've seen that in like the ultra high end when you see like the Joker watches and things like that, where people are paying, you know, 30, 40, $50,000. But now at like an affordable level, it's one of those watches that can look serious. But then the more you think about it as a watch nerd, you're like, ah, this is just a fun, this is a fun, cool watch. You know, there's a, there's a fine line there. So, one of the things that I've had to think about that I've never had to think about in my whole life is marketing. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you know, if I had if I had my druthers, I, I our marketing would be really tongue in cheek, mm -hmm. um, over the top, kind of ridiculous. Because I I really really concerned that somebody might think we're taking ourselves too seriously. Um, I, I want the whole thing to be a joke, but. It's not a joke. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's a product that that we want people to sell. You know, you can't do hollow end links on a product that someone's going to buy because they don't want hollow end links. They want mm -hmm. a nice watch. And so having to think about what are what are people actually going to want to wear? Mm -hmm. What are people going to want to respond to? People aren't going to want to wear a joke. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not a joke. You know, like you said, we've got drilled we've got drilled lugs. It's going to be quick release. The the materials, the attention we've spent on the design, uh, the decisions we've made in the prototyping process, which is hard. Prototyping is hard. Um, figuring out like what's what are the problems and how do we fix it? Making a forty-eight click bidirectional bezel with a one-piece no insert is really hard, mm -hmm. and it's taken a long time. And our factories told us no, and we had to fight with them on it. You, you know, making these decisions is not a joke. This is this is a watch that we're really really proud of, uh, but the things we're proud of are it, it's not a helium escape valve or mm -hmm. any sort of technical innovation. Um, it, it's just our thoughtfulness, right? We're we're proud of the level of attention that we've put in this to make the watch we want. So we have to back off that market a little bit. It's, this isn't going to be a joke. You will see that in as as our marketing sort of rolls out that we're making a point not to take this too seriously one of our first sort of ads with or you know our ad copy is this watch is specifically designed for drinking beer and eating oysters um you, you know which no which is ridiculous right nobody designs a watch for drinking beer and eating oysters but but that is what we designed this watch for right it, that amongst any other number of similar activities right this it's not a watch that's designed for to be a technical scuba or or snorkeling watch it's a watch designed to be able to snorkel because you don't need anything fucking specific to snorkel with mm -hmm. but also to to afterwards eat oysters and drink beer right it, it's supposed to just be fun and, and and so i'm glad you picked up on it and but we've had to back off of that a little bit and to communicate to people that it's not a it's not a joke this is a, this is something we're really proud of and i think we've done a really good job well, now that, uh, you know, we, like one of the big things with a lot of uh, 
a lot of brands is, is the community will kind of come out and affectionately give some different models within the brand a name, right? So now that I know that, you know, some of the marketing is going to be drinking beer and eating oysters, I think I'm going to affectionately name right here, right now, the uh, Blood Orange Dial, the Shuckmaster. The Shuckmaster. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I think that'd be, a, I think that's a fantastic, uh, a fantastic uh, kind of community driven name. And I think that, you know, it's, it, it fits exactly kind of what you're trying to, to do with the brand. And I think that that's really, really cool. Uh, talk to me about movement now. What are we looking at inside? What's the, what's the, the guts and nuts and bolts of this thing? Yeah, so I, I, knew, I knew before we even started this bunch that I wanted it to be a Miyoto movement. Um, the, there's, some, there's some distinctly Japanese uh, design details here. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, if you look at the dial, the dial feels... feels uniquely japanese maybe not uniquely japanese and and so hopefully there's not a cultural appropriation happening there i just love japanese design watches right i I think that seiko and citizen in particular two huge japanese brands have just done better things especially in dive watches than anybody else in the world anybody who tells me that uh a rolex submariner or a Blanc Pond 50 Fathoms is a is a more iconic dive watch than any number of Seiko, you know, the Turtle or whatever. Um, I, I just I just can't yeah. I can't I can't come come to grips with that. I, I realize that more people want it and that they're perhaps better made watches, higher quality watches. But the the Martin Sheen Seiko dive watch in my mind is like the coolest dive watch ever made. It's just the coolest dive watch ever made. And and so we're, we're obviously not doing an homage to that, but there is, you, you know, in the colloquial use of that phrase, homages to Japanese watchmaking. I knew pretty early on that the Miyota movement is the right combination of a physical form, form factor and quality. Uh, I've, I've read a lot about movements. We looked at some other Chinese-based like swiss homage movements um, really great movements that people are having good results with that also have good form factors uh but at the end of the day the citizen movement is such an easy pick for me it's mm-hmm. super thin you can get a really really thin watch with that movement which we've done i think we're like sub 12 on this thing um you know we only need 110 meters of water resistance so i i think we're probably at about 150 with this, but it's the 11 at most, so it's 110 meters, and that's it. I think you made an interesting point there as well. Like the, uh, I mean, you're right. Like the the subs and the Blanc Ponds and, and all that. I mean, they're interesting. Um, you know, they're a great starting point, uh, but they're also both very much uh, slaves to their own design language. And I think that you know, J- Japanese watchmaking, particularly in the dive space, that's where we've seen so much incredible variation and innovation over the decades. And, and I think that's sort of a thing there too, where it's like, you know, they're not afraid to do something kind of wacky and different and impressive and fun, but also still highly functional. And you just, that's where you see so much variation to draw inspiration from. And, and I think that, yeah, hundred percent, like when you look at it, there's definitely some influences from a few different Japanese pieces and brands, but still you've created something that's kind of wholly unique to itself, which I think is really, really cool. And, and are we talking 8,000 series or 9,000 series Miyota or what do we have? 9,000, 90, 39. So this, we don't have a date. We don't have a date on, on our watch. So this is the no date, no ghost position. 
uh, Miyoto movement. Yeah. Yeah, but super high quality, really well made. I mean, that's a that's a really good movement. I mean, the nine thousand series Miyoto movements have always been uh, compared to their Swiss counterparts uh, very favorably. So that's uh, and great. and it's about half half as much money too. I mean, really, we save people at least a hundred bucks on this watch by not having Swiss movement. At mm-hmm. least, probably more like two hundred. So. Um, yeah, it, it, it's an easy it's an easy decision for me. I know that there's some people that would probably prefer a Swiss movement, and and in certain applications, I'd go with a Swiss movement. But for this watch, what this watch is supposed to be, it's it was the easy choice. So let's talk price point. You you've mentioned on a few times a large emphasis on affordability. What are we looking at? Uh, what's what's the damage to the pocketbook when someone wants to pick one of these up inevitably? Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, the early origins uh, of this watch conceptually. And at at the time, it was intended to be a $300 watch, which included hollow end links and everything. Uh, Since then, a couple of things have happened. One, um, the the world has talked me out of making a, a 1970s quality watch and making a modern quality watch. Uh, which means a, a little bit more money, not a lot, um, but but also the the cost of manufacturing has shot up a ton. So we're we were able to get prices locked in um, for production, and we're going to be able to sell this thing for five hundred dollars. Um, that's that'll be our retail price, five hundred dollars, and that will include bracelet and a strap. Nice. Very cool. What about packaging? What are we looking at for packaging wise? I feel like that's an opportunity to kind of do something fun as well. Yeah, we're going to go, we're going to go paper packaging and simple. So when I say paper, I mean cardboard, but we're going to go affordable, um, no nonsense packaging. That's one of the reasons we're able to keep our prices down. Packaging can be expensive. It doesn't have to be. And we made the decision that, um, you know, it shouldn't be a lot of space because mm. some of the people that are going to have this watch are going to have also 40 other watches. And so we don't want it to take a lot of space. Um, and and we don't want it to be something that people are paying for. We, we don't want people to be paying for packaging. So um, some people w- will lament that, I think. And I think you're right. That is an opportunity to sort of differentiate your product. Uh, unboxing videos have become kind of iconic. This isn't going to be an unboxing video watch. Uh, this is going to be... Uh, you know, drinking beer and shucking oysters watch. That's really cool. I, I dig that though. And that's awesome. I think that's a good point is that sometimes there's been an over, an overemphasis on, on boxing. Uh, and that really just, I mean, yeah, it's cool to have a, a nice box for like, you know, 10 minutes and then you stick it in the closet. Um, you know, but that's still a, a heavy cost. that's going to translate to you as a consumer. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's nice to kind of just something simple, something quick and easy, and you can focus on on delivering the best product you can with the watch, and I think that's that's awesome. It sounds like a really really cool piece. So, um, are there any other design elements that you wanted to chat about regarding the watch? Or yeah, so I, I think we've been through most of this. Tw- you know, twenty millimeter lugs. Mm-hmm. It, it is a pretty short lug, so you're not going to be able to get every strap in there. Uh, and by that, I mean the distance between the flat portion of the watch and the spring bar. Um, but I've had this on just about every my, uh, every pass-through strap in my closet, including um, the new Haviston straps, which have sort of a reinforced leather portion. I've got that in there, no problem. Um, so I, I, 
I'd say you're not going to be able to put every strap in there. I think that there may be some like leather, perhaps some rubber straps that you might have a hard time. Um, but I've got, like I said, our, you know, pretty generic basket weave tropic style strap in there. Just fine. Totally hundred percent fine on that. Um, tw- 20 millimeter lugs with a pretty short lug, six tapering down to 16 millimeters, fully brushed. There's no polish on the case at all. Uh, so it's brushed on every angle you've got what they're not right angles, but what I would call right angle construction everywhere. Um, talk to me about the crystal. I'm seeing a nicely domed, uh, kind of box style crystal. What do we got going on there? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what this is. So this is a box style acrylic crystal. Um, the, the reason we fired our first manufacturer is because they told us they could do an acrylic crystal over 40 meters or 50 Hmm. meters. And I was, what, (laughs) can you, can you ask them again? And they went back and asked them again and they said, yeah, they're, they're saying they could try some things. And so we fired that manufacturer and and interviewed a couple more, uh, because I I love an acrylic crystal. It's the one sort of vestigial thing Mm -hmm. from my early design of this watch that I wasn't willing to let go of. And I think some people won't like that. I think that that's the one thing that some people are going to prefer a sapphire crystal. Um, uh, again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make an argument that acrylic is technically better than sapphire. Someone else can make that argument because there are some pretty good arguments for why it might be in certain situations. Uh, but yeah, it does scratch. Uh, acrylic crystal scratch and uh, acrylic crystals polish. So this is something that you're going to from time to time have to put some poly watch on it, uh, assuming you're wearing it the way it's intended to be worn. I love the way an acrylic crystal looks. I mm-hmm. love the distortion of acrylic crystal. I love the warmth. I know that that's a weird term. It, it's not actually warm, but that's how I would describe the feel of an acrylic crystal. And that's what I wanted for for my watch. And so that's what we went with. We went with acrylic and, and I'm really happy we did. I think it was a great decision, man. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like one of those watches that'll like if you really wear it the way it's meant to be worn, and you and you enjoy the process of having the watch, it'll you know develop that nice uh, kind of patina over time altogether. The crystal will get nice and kind of scratched up. The bezel, with it being like PVD, could could start to kind of get scratched up and chipped up a little bit over time because you have it all the way around uh, the coined edge of the bezel as well too. So inevitably, when you're hitting it on doorknobs or you know I don't know an oyster shell or something when you're eating your oysters and drinking your beer or whatever you can kind of start to really see the watch kind of patina and you know kind of hearkening back to that uh, Japanese influence get that wabi-sabi on it that will really um, I think make each watch really unique in itself as well as people really enjoy wearing them yeah you know uh, it's an interesting thing Um, I I love a watch with good anglage good sort of polished chamfers we didn't do any of that here Uh, and it's for exactly that reason we want this watch to wear to wear in a in a pleasing way without having to worry about stuff like that so the one thing that might require some maintenance on this is the crystal but the rest of this is it has been specifically designed to take wear well right um pvd it should hopefully it doesn't chip i know it's you you said that word i hope it doesn't chip but it will it will wear right it will sort of scratch um fully brushed case which it's steel so it will that brush case will scratch um but the way brushed steel scratches, I think is really aesthetically pleasing. And so this is no polish on the bracelet. You know, those Jubilee links are fully brushed. So 
if they scratch, it, it's not going to be something that you're going to feel like, oh, I need to polish the middle links of my Jubilee bracelet. No, you're going to be able to just, you're just going to be able to wear this. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's that's all purposeful. We've, we've made those decisions um, to go with fully brushed for specifically that reason, Eric. That's terrific. That's that's really really cool. Um, what I guess is so when when are these watches going to be available for purchase? Yeah, so we're making them right now. So uh, we're hoping to have what we call production prototypes by the end of July. Um, the the way the way our factory does the manufacturing process, they build everything all at once, mm-hmm. and then once they've completed all the parts. They quickly, I think we're going to get three or four production prototypes. They'll quickly put together four of them, make sure that they everything fits together the way it's supposed to, and then ship those to us while they assemble the rest of them. Um, we're hoping end of July for the production prototypes and then mid-August for actually the production pieces. We'll have QC to do here. We're not, we're not assembling them ourselves, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the main one is QC. If your factory does your assembly, they can QC them on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot higher failure rate when you when you assemble yourself. So that's something we may look at in the future. But for this first watch, it was important to us to make sure that when we get the product, the product can be sold. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're hoping mid to end of August we'll be live to purchase these things. But we'll have watches before that. Uh, we're going to do all of our time testing. We're, you know, we're going to, ha- you know, QC every watch, including um, time regulation to the extent it's necessary, uh, and then they'll be ready to sell. To sell, hopefully August. That's really, really exciting. What um, I guess, you know, once you have these pieces out and they're selling and and people are responding well to them, what? Uh... Finger, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, I mean, it sounds like you guys know what you're doing and you're doing something really cool and unique. So I think people will respond well to that. But what is um, what is the long-term, I guess, vision for the the brand? What is the long-term hope and what are you hoping to accomplish, you know, after this release? You, you know, I think the easiest way to talk about this is in terms of brands that we really respect. Um, you, you know, when I look at other brands in not necessarily the micro brand space, because I think if you're aspiring to be a micro brand, you're, you're um, maybe not thinking about this in the long term. you know, looking past our sort of micro brand status, as it were, uh, the brands I respect are, um, well, there's a ton of them. And so I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sell anybody short, but the two that come to mind most immediately are a Christopher Ward, uh, someone I've talked to a lot is Mike France, who's the CEO of Christopher Ward, and and also Jorg, his his main watchmaker, uh, or their main watchmaker. And I just love what those guys are doing. I love the the attention that they spend to each watch they make. I love the fact that they do weird shit like uh, we're gonna recreate a super compressor. We're not gonna make a super compressor case. Mm-hmm. We're gonna re-engineer an actual super compressor spring and put it in a watch that's cool i I love their case work the light the light catcher case is the coolest thing in watches right now and coolest thing in case design it it is the coolest case design in all of watches right now um i I love their their mix of new and old nothing feels nothing feels sort of bombastically vintage everything feels modern even when they include explicitly vintage elements uh yeah i i love the shit out of christopher ward 
I would love to be able to, I mean, this is so aspirational, but if you could be Christopher, if I could be any other brand right now, it would be Christopher Ward, right? They've got a ton of variety. They've got killer watches. They're affordable. Uh, they're, you know, they're accessible. You can buy them. Um, the other brand that I really, really look up to is Notice. Uh, these are guys, Wes and Colin, I know them really, really well. Um, uh, ha having had them on the show a number of times, hung out, I've had beers a number of times with those guys. And I just love them as people, but also I love what they do with their design. They, they have design language that's uniquely theirs. They have a modern, a modern style, right? It, there, you can look at a notice watch and you can understand what they're trying to do. Even if I don't love all the decisions they make with all of the watches, I love how they got to that decision. Um, and, and so, which is not to say I want to be either one of those brands. Long, long term, I think that we'd have um, a handful of watches. I'd hope that they would be available to someone who wanted to buy them on our website. Um, we already have our our second watch is uh, been designed, um, and we're working on sort of getting prototypes of that done. We know what the third and fourth watches are. We don't know which which order they're going to come in um but yeah that it, we're we're sort of we're, we're moving as if we're going to be a successful business um some things need to happen before we can call ourselves a successful business like we have to sell a, at least a watch at some point which we haven't yet uh but i, I feel confident that some people at least are going to like this and and want to buy it and we'll make the decisions about the next watches after that that's awesome that sounds like a great uh you know, kind of plan going forward and some really, really great, uh, you know, aspirations to have for the brand. And, and I, I'm very confident that, uh, you know, you'll be successful in, in that. And, and, and I wish you the best in all of that. Uh, definitely. I really, really do. One question that I had that I haven't asked yet, and, and, and I usually I would have asked kind of like right early on, I'm kind of surprised I didn't, um, you know, it's sort of the whole what's in a name. Explain why Foster? Where did that come from? What was the significance of that choice? Yeah, so it, it's a good question. The The answer is probably going to be unsatisfying to people. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. So Foster is the road that I grew up on in Portland. Uh, Foster, Foster Road in Portland, anybody who knows Portland at all uh, will know that Foster is a uniquely southeast Portland street. It does not, uh, you, you know, most of the streets, at least in east Portland, are laid out north, south, east, west grid. Uh, Foster is a diagonal street. It's, it's one of the few in Portland that doesn't follow the grid. Um, it, it crosses many other of the east-west named streets. So you've got numbers north-south. You've got names east-west. Foster passes, so intersects with a bunch of the named streets. It is only exists in the sort of southeast 1-8th or 1-16th of Portland. Um, and so it's just uh very middle class always has been ever since i was a kid you know we were poor to middle class i'd say lower middle class at best um and it just feels like this this place this entity that i identify with and christian my my business partner sort of when we were talking um brand names i i kind of pitched it he was like yeah yeah that that feels like exactly what we want to do christian knowing portland and having 
also experienced with Portland in the way I did, um, was like, yeah, this is perfect. So we went with it. Uh, but it, that's pretty, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty sort of, uh, nuanced name. So in, in addition to, in addition to having that sort of meaningful feeling, it just sounds good. I, I, I like the way it sounds. I, mm-hmm. I, I like the way it plays as, as a watch brand. So, um, Foster, Foster Watch Co. It's better than saying you named it after a crappy Australian beer. So I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. Also that, also 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 that to go to go with the shocking of the oysters, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's cool. No, that's a really that's a, I think that's a very satisfying answer. It it has significance to you. I think if you really wanted to, you know, uh, extrapolate further, expand further on that, you know, it's you're talking about this unique street that doesn't go quite the same way that every other street in Portland goes. It's kind of a little bit into kind of how your watches are, right? I mean, it's, again, it's just doing its own thing. It's not taking itself too seriously, but still being a serious watch. And I think that's really, really exciting. Um, a little bit about you now, going back into you as an individual, I know you've referenced several pieces, um, you know, and sort of how those pieces sort of maybe factored into the design of um the 11 Atmos, but what, what other pieces are in your collection and, and did they, and, and did other pieces in your collection play an influence in the design of the watch as well? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, you, you know, I have, uh, a, a podcast, right. Which we've talked about a number of times. 40 and 20 is a podcast that was started to talk about affordable watches, mm-hmm. uh, because you, you, you know, we, we really, wanted there to be a space that was kind of a safe space for affordable folks that didn't uh, talk about these watches that I was just never going to buy. Now, as, as these things go, as time's gone on, we've increasingly opened up the top end of our podcast where we talk about watches that neither one of us would have ever considered mm. even, even two years ago. Right. Um, you, you know, watches that we think are cool um, because because the conversation on affordable watches only goes so far. But we're still at our at, you know at our at our most basic level at affordables podcast. So my my collection is built with affordables. That's what I want. That's what I that's what I buy. That's that's what I collected. Um, I, I would say of the watches we've discussed today, the SKX kind of defines my collection it was the first watch i had a watch i'll always have it's a watch that will i will always wear i i really really i've written an article uh called in defense of the skx that's appeared on a couple different websites at this Mm -hmm. point um and it 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 it, it's a meaningful watch to me not because it's a not because it's a well-built watch or a technically good watch because it's not it's not a well-built or technically good watch um there, there's obviously you, you've got your ISO certification, which is neat, and it sort of adds to the the mythology there. But yeah, you know, it, it's got that terrible bracelet that's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, sort of a suspect bezel action, um, you, you know. But it, it, despite all of that stuff, it is the design of the SKX just speaks to me. So that that's i think probably the the cornerstone of my collection other watches that i love um i have a speedmaster which I, I had to get hit by a truck to buy this watch because it's sort of outside of my normal uh budget so i got hit by a truck and with the settlement uh <laughs> i bought a speedmaster that's, that's a story a true, true story 
Um, I've got, you know, my Hamilton khaki mechanical watch, which I think is probably my favorite sort of go-to banger. It's a mechanical watch, so you've got to wind it. I think a lot of folks would have a quartz watch in that place. I've also got a Pulsar G10 watch, which is quartz, that if I really just can't get myself to wind the Hamilton, I'll put on the Pulsar quartz. Um, they they do really similar things in terms of how they wear and what what I, what situations I'd wear them in. Um, I, I recently picked up a Monta Triumph, uh, mm-hmm. which is a watch that I've been looking at for about three years, and I'm kicking myself for having waited so long. I, I think I, I know Justin at Monta really well. I also know Mike. Uh, I, I really like those guys. They're good people. But the Montas are expensive. I, I mean, this I think I I think seventeen hundred bucks for this mm-hmm. watch, um, it for a three hand steel sports watch, uh, and that's a that's a big ask, right? When there's so many good Seiko and Hamiltons and Longines and you know, T, everybody makes a steel three hand sport watch. I love the Astro and Bank Fortitudes. I there's so mm-hmm. many watches that I love. Um, I, this, this is, this is it for me, man. This watch is so good. Uh, radio brushing on the, on the bezel. Uh, you, you know, it's a sterile bezel, obviously. So it's a pretty thin bezel radial brushing, which is maybe the uh, most underrated feature in watches. And it's under 10, meter, 10 millimeters, 9.7. So at whatever, 39 millimeters, mm-hmm. this thing is nuts. It mm-hmm. is so enjoyable to wear. The bracelet is one of the nicest manufactured things i own um yeah it's it, it's redefining who i am as a collector a little bit owning this watch so i i don't mean to gush too much about this watch but i i really love it uh i really love the monta triumph i i don't i can't think of other another watch under five thousand dollars um that does all the things this watch does well it's good to have one of those like benchmark pieces that kind of come into the collection once in a while and really show you like what your money can get right because i think that always that sort of causes a bit of um perspective change on maybe future uh, purchases right when you're like hang on like i getting this for 1700 bucks i'm why am i going to shell out xyz amount of dollars more for something else that doesn't even come close to touching that, right? I mean, the Montes I've heard great things about for a long time. They're another one that have been uh, wanting to get on the show for a while, but haven't really gotten around to sending that DM yet or asking. But if you got a connection there, maybe when we're done uh, recording, I'll make it, man. I'll make so it. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. They're uh, they're solid guys. I know that from other people, so I would really enjoy maybe chatting with them as well too on the show. That'd be really really fun. But that's a beautiful piece. What else do you have in the collection, or do you have anything incoming that uh, you're really excited about other than your own uh, Eleven Matmos that I'm sure you'll be getting as well on top of the prototypes you already have? Yeah, you know, it 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 does change things, right? Making a watch sort of changes things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, e- even just daily wear, right? So we've had the prototypes now for several months, and at, at first I was wearing I was wearing the prototypes every day, but it's a professional obligation to wear them, right? Because I need to know how it feels. People have asked me because it is pretty angular. Um, people have said ask questions about the sharpness on the lugs not sharp at all, you know, but I needed to know these things. Like, how does this thing day to day wear? It's got kind of a, a, a prominent crown. And so mm. people wanted to notice that dig. I've worn it left wrist. I've worn it right wrist. Um, and, and we shortened the crown <laughs> from, from prototyping to production. We shortened the crown. Uh, 
both aesthetically, I think it's going to work better. And also it did, it did stick out a little bit and, mm-hmm. and there were opportunities to have that be uncomfortable. So, um, you, you know, there was this professional obligation to wear it, but pretty quickly that developed into, uh, it's my favorite watch. Uh, you, you know, I just, I fucking love to wear it. it it's, it's small, it's thin. You, you know, my favorite feature of this watch design wise, I drew this with pencil and I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this right now. I don't there. I don't think that there's another watch that is shaped like this. And I don't mean to say I've done anything revolutionary. Part of the reason that it's, it's shaped the way it is from the profile is because I don't know anything about watch design. Right. So I drew, I drew what I wanted a watch to look like. And then we fought with factories to make the watch wear this way even Mm. though it's not what anybody does so you you know when you look at the case back of this watch the the case back it's just a normal screw case back but at the north and south the the case back is actually inset into the case so you it's a little bit it's a little bit finicky to pull the case back off because it's lower than the case once you get to 12 o'clock and six o'clock the only and, place i've seen that shape before and with the case kind of recessed like that ever is uh, actually on an eterna super conti and you know, i've never seen it anywhere else yeah in fact other than this watch that's, yeah. a, that's a watch we've looked at right mm-hmm. and so this is worse it, it we want it to we we wanted it to be the way we wanted it to be and, and we've gotten there and you get the watch, you don't know how that's gonna work. There's a lot of decisions that we made and decisions we could have made, but you just don't know how that's gonna work out. Mm-hmm. But you get this thing and it, it works so well. Uh, the the way this hugs your wrist, um, and we've tried it on a number of different wrists. You know, you've, some people have a round sort of baseball bat wrist. Some people have really flat, like Altoid tin wrists. And this has done everything, right? Uh, it, it, it's passed all the tests. I, I'm, I'm bragging on my watch, and I think I should be bragging on my watch, but this is genuine. I yeah. love I love wearing this watch every day. And, and so I'm not buying watches right now because I've got this watch that, A, I'm professionally working on. Um, so, no, I don't have anything in coming. In fact, the Hamilton, the big Hamilton aviation that, that I showed you earlier on, was was an impulse buy i saw it i saw it come up for a song and i was like always wanted that watch so i and so i took a i took a turn on it but i've got a lot of watches man we (laughs) we've got a watch podcast um my notice sector skin diver Mm. is is one of my favorites i've got uh an an emg nemo which i think is just a seriously underrated micro brand watch um, I've got watches. I've got a Solabs, a, a plastic case quartz Solabs watch from Rick and Andrew Perez over at Esther and Banks um, that I love. Uh, I've got weird dive watches. I've got like an old Casio Anadigi dive watch that I wear. I've got a like a white label Seiko watch that's sold under a Divex brand, which is like a sort of gucci uk dive equipment label hmm. um i have weird watches man that's what i got my collection's full of weird watches that's really cool though i mean you, it's sort of just you know you just buy what you love and i think that's one of the things that's very admirable about your uh about your collection and also the watch you're designing is, is you just you just enjoy the hobby the way it's meant to be enjoyed and it's a passion and it's just whatever 
sparks that joy and makes you happy, that's what you go for. And I think that's really cool. I think that's the way we should all be uh, enjoying this hobby is just get what you love, right? And I think you're, there's no greater demonstration than, you know, what you're doing right now with Foster Watches and the piece that you're designing or the piece that you have designed that is coming out and, and you know, you've demonstrated through this conversation is that passion and that joy and, and just really making a piece that you love and you're happy to be putting your name behind it. And I think that's that's really, really cool. It, it is cool, man. And, and the nice thing is, even if everybody else hates this watch, no one buys them. Uh, I, I made the watch that I wanted. So it, it's like, I'll always have this... I'll always have this one. I'll always be able to have this watch that I wanted, that I loved. And uh, I, I hope other people like it enough to buy it as well. I think they definitely will. So I, I have my, <laughs> I have my, uh, I have my closing question. And, uh, you know, I always ask people this question, but if you could give one piece of advice to anybody that is coming new into this hobby, shopping for a watch, shopping for a micro brand, just, anything it's a big world it's a big space there's a lot of a lot of people a lot of names out there what would that what would that advice be even if you could go back and talk to 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 a younger everett starting to get into this what advice would you give them you know i I, it's tough because i think everybody comes comes at this from different places and with different goals and motivations um the, the one thing that i am really glad that I've done is I've spent a lot of time before I bought watches and I've bought watches with the intent that I keep them. Uh, so, so I, I, I very rarely impulse buy a watch. Mm-hmm. I usually spend weeks, if not months, sort of thinking about the decision and comparing it to other similar watches. Um, I, I would say buy watches that you want to keep, you know, you know, there's a lot of folks who buy and sell everything. They buy every watch that they want, and then they sell watches from their collection to buy the next watch they want. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Certainly, I'm not criticizing those people. Some of my best friends in the hobby are what I'd call flippers, right? Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that there is maybe a little bit less um, less investment in the hobby when you just buy and sell everything, you know, and I think at some point that can ultimately be unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I sometimes see those folks, those perpetual flippers sort of back away from the hobby at some point, because, um, you, you know, these are the people that say, I'm looking for my exit watch, you know, or I'm stepping away, I'm selling everything and, and keeping this one watch. People ask me, what's your one watch collection? I'm like, fuck that, dude. I, my one watch collection is all of these watches because I fucking love them. Like mm-hmm. if I'm ever a one watch collection guy, I'm no longer a watch guy. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a this watch guy and I'll, and I'll close my Instagram. Right. Um, buy watches that you want to have for forever uh, mm-hmm. and, and spend enough time to, to make a good decision. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're not going to have misses because you, you probably will. And that's okay too. And, and when you have a miss, you can get rid of that watch and buy something else, but, but don't impulse buy, buy watches that you know, you want to have long-term and, and and then enjoy those watches if you can mm-hmm. i think that's you know that's great advice and something that people definitely uh could benefit from and and yeah I nothing more to say on that that's that's awesome awesome all right well uh you know everett it's been fantastic chatting with you and learning about foster watches and learning a little bit more about uh, the man behind the brand 
you know, what are some of the landing spots or some of the places that people can yeah. engage with yourself? They can engage with some of your content or if they want to find out more about Foster Watches. Yeah, so so Foster Watches, Foster Watch Co. on Instagram, at Foster Watch Co. on Instagram. Also, fosterwatches.com. That's our website. That's it. Right now, it's just sort of a landing spot. So there's not a lot of information there quite yet, but that will be that will be where we sell all of our watches um, and have all the information about our, our upcoming projects. Uh, we're, we're Like I said, we're just sort of getting going. So I really appreciate you having us on. That's the two most likely places. If, if you if you like the sound of my voice, uh, you can find me every single week at the 40 and 20 podcast, 40 and 20, the watch clicker podcast. That's uh, our website, watchclicker.com. Also at watch clicker on Instagram at at 40 and 20 on Instagram. Awesome. I will link everything in the description boxes below for those that are listening, those that are watching on YouTube. There's going to be like six, seven links and then all my links as well too. <laughs> so it'll be link heavy, but you can definitely go ahead all those, uh, I'll link all those landing spots for people to go and check out. And uh, likewise for myself, anybody has any questions, comments, feedback, or just wants to have a conversation, feel free to shoot me an email at ricoswatchespodcast at gmail.com. Additionally, if you want to follow along with the show, kind of go to the central hub for the show for updates, uh, you know, new episodes, giveaways, just the occasional wrist shot or conversation, feel free to head over to the Rico's Watches Podcast Instagram page, which is just at Rico's Watches Podcast. I'm also uh, generally available there all the time to shoot me a DM and we'll definitely have a conversation. If you enjoy my episodes in an audio medium and would also like to enjoy them in a visual medium, I do have a YouTube channel as well. That is uh, Rico's Watches Podcast on YouTube. You can see this episode and 80 other episodes of uh, me chatting with my guests and their smiling faces as well as mine. And uh, otherwise, yeah, please enjoy my episodes across all the different podcast streaming platforms. Thank you so much, Everett. It's been fantastic chatting with you once again. And I look forward to uh, seeing the success of Foster as you release the 11 Atmos. And um, I I really look forward to seeing what's going to be coming next after that as well, too. Thanks so much, Eric. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.